I'm going to start over because okay. I completely lost the thread of that one. You're listening to Love Ya, a guided tour through the wide, wonderful waters of streaming teen rom-coms. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, teen librarian and YA-lit enthusiast, and I am joined, as always, by my other co-host. I'm Marn Hagman, uh, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. And today, in a... A huge relief to both of us, I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, we are returning to the uh, returning to one of the properties that started it all. Today, we are going to be talking about the sequel to "To All the Boys I've Loved Before." P.S. I still love you. To kick us off, Marn, why don't you give us a brief plot summary of this movie that we both watched? Yeah, so to all the boys I love before, um, picks up right at, or P.S. I love you, um, picks up right at the end of the first movie, um, and we see Lara Jean and Peter, um, fresh off of acknowledging their fake dating relationship from the first movie is real, um, so having their first date, um, starting to settle into being a couple, um, And then we find out that included in the original uh, letters that were sent out by Lara Jean's sister um, that kind of spurred the whole plot of the first movie um, where Lara Jean uh, suddenly found herself facing the fact that she had written these love letters. Um, a second one of these love letters written to John Ambrose McLaren, um, who is one of Laura Jean's partners in Paul United Nations way back in the day, um, gets a reply. Um, and so she finds out that basically he liked her too way back in the day. Um, and so as Lara Jean is settling into being in a real relationship with Peter and is still kind of plagued with doubts, um, about the difference between being a fake girlfriend and an actual girlfriend, um, she gets this letter from John Ambrose McLaren, excuse me, um, and it turns out they start, uh, volunteering at the same senior center, uh, where she meets Stormy, who is played by the delightful Holland Taylor, um, and starts to, you know, question why she likes Peter and remember why she liked John Ambrose in the first place, um, and kind of throws a bunch of things up in the air from the first movie. Um, and also there was a plot introduced of... Uh, Lara Jean's younger sister Kitty setting up their dad um, with their neighbor. Uh, yeah, and this all comes to a head when Lara Jean and Peter find out that the treehouse they used to play in as middle schoolers is about to be torn down. 
Um, and so they end up having uh, a farewell party for this treehouse while they dig up an old time capsule that they planted there. Um, and things end on a hopeful note for Lara Jean and Peter. They kind of resolve the immediate um, issue of her possibly still having feelings for John Ambrose McLaren. Um, but there's there's going to be another sequel, so we definitely get the sense that this is not all wrapped up. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed the fact that you felt the need to say John Ambrose McLaren's full name every time you mentioned him. Oh, he is absolutely a full name <laughs> character. I feel like he cannot be referred to by anything except for John Ambrose McLaren. Yeah. Um, so, initial thoughts. Yeah, so I have kind of two very contradictory impulses about this movie. Um, the f- yes. Um, so the first impulse is, it was great to see all of our favorites back together on screen. It was great to see Laura Jean and Peter together back on screen. Um, Lana Condor and Noah Sitneo still have some very powerful chemistry. I think that Jordan Fisher as John Ambrose McLaren, um, I think he did a really wonderful job of being kind of the one that got away for Laura Jean. Um, I really enjoyed the subplot of, um... Laura Jean's dad and their neighbor. Um, So on one hand, I enjoyed all those things. Um, And it was great to just kind of be transported back into this world for a little bit. Um, On the other hand, I question what we needed this for. Um, And in some ways, I think that this continuation um, kind of seems to come out of the fact of this was a really popular thing and don't you want to have more? Um, rather than a natural um, plot reason or a natural reason based on the characters. And I think that it kind of tries to crack the like wonderful bubblegummy pink glow of the first movie by you know making us question like for example we come to find out that one of the seminal scenes in the first movie that takes place in a hot tub um we think that peter is sitting there waiting for Lara jean and kind of acknowledging the fact that you know, in their fake relationship, he actually has really started to have feelings for her. Well, we come to find out that actually he was waiting there, hoping to get back together with his ex-girlfriend, Jen. And Lara Jean just kind of happened along, and it kind of spurred the development of his feelings for her. Um, But it, it kind of casts some of those things in a different light, and that I did not appreciate. 
Yeah, I thought so. First of all, I did enjoy watching this movie. Um, but I I was a little frustrated by the fact that I felt like it pulled away from sources of actual conflict. Mm. Like like there's there's the scene where Lara Jean is confronting um Peter, I almost called him Noah, that's the actor's name. Um, <laughs> is confronting Peter about that moment. And I'm like, that is a real source of conflict, I thought, that the movie doesn't really resolve in a real way. Like, that's, they they break up at that point, but when they get back together, they don't really talk about that. Like, that is never mm. resolved. Um, I also thought was a little frustrated. So they have a conversation in Peter's car when they're coming back from a date where Lara Jean is like, I'm not ready to have sex yet. And Peter was like, okay. Um, and the conversation they have there is actually really great because um, we know that he and Jen were sexually active and Lara Jean makes what I think is a very mature and real point and something that like actual 16 year olds do get concerned about where she's like, you know, I just want to know that, are you missing this thing that you used to do that I am not ready for yet? Um, and I, I was frustrated by the fact that the movie didn't kind of spend more time with that. Like we just get mm. that one scene and then it's over. So it's like, yeah, he's fine with it, which is great. But like, that's in a movie that is fairly devoid of conflict. I felt like it brought up some points of conflict and then was like, but everything's fine. And this isn't actually a problem. Mm. Um, I I also was never afraid that she was going to leave Peter for John Ambrose. Like, I thought that the actor was totally charming. I thought their scenes together was great or great. I was never like the movie did not at any point convince me that that was a real source of like potential conflict between them. I, because I knew that it is a trilogy, um, I knew that this was eventually going to be resolved by Lara Jean and Peter getting back together, um, but I don't know. I think the movie made a good argument for the fact that in some ways Laura Jean and John Ambrose McLaren are potentially more compatible on a surface level. Uh, and I think, you know, it gave us like 30 seconds to a minute worth to think about that and then, <laughs> you know, thoroughly dove us back into... What I'm going to say is mostly the chemistry of Laura, Lana Kander and Nurse Noah Centineo to be like, yeah. oh, yeah, no, that's not where this is going. I Yeah, I thought the movie was more interested in making a case against Peter than it was for making a case for John Ambrose, if that makes mm. any sense. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Which I thought was kind of a disservice to John Ambrose, because I really liked Jordan Fisher. Um, have you read this book? I have not. Okay, I haven't either. But I saw this on... I, I was reading some reviews of this movie, and 
I found out through reading those reviews that in the book, uh, John Ambrose is Stormy's grandson. Oh. So, Storm, yeah, Stormy is um, a woman in the senior center that Lara Jean starts to volunteer at, that her sister had also volunteered at, and uh, John Ambrose ends up volunteering there as well. And I am very curious about that familial con- connection because I thought. Um, I thought Stormy was a character who was very underserved mm. by this movie. And like, I was really interested in the relationship that she had with um, Lara Jean's sister and then starts to develop with Lara Jean, but ends up feeling kind of half-baked. Mm. And I, I wonder what would have happened if we had tried to, if like that familial connection had still existed. Um what that might have done for both her character and John Ambrose and the relationship that Lara Jean has with both of them. Yeah, I could definitely see how that would change that dynamic. And especially because I think some of the most charming scenes in that movie were Lara Jean and Stormy talking to each other. Yes, she has a great scene where Stormy offers her a drink and Lara Jean's like, Stormy, I'm 16. (laughs) Oh, that was so great. Um, but yeah, I thought Stormy was a great character. She had uh, some sass that I thought was missing in this movie. Um, I know that the aesthetic of these movies is trying very hard um, to be sort of John Hughes-esque. Uh, they make a big deal out of um, Lara Jean's affinity for John Hughes movies in the first one. I thought this one ended up feeling a little bit more Wes Anderson to me. Oh. John Hughes, like, a lot of the camera work has that very straight on, and then, like, things happening, like, coming in on the ends. Like, it's a very straight up and down kind of film work that I, uh, like I said, reminded me a lot of um, Wes Anderson. Okay. Um, Only without his kind of bizarre sense of humor which you almost get with Stormy and which I was like yes more of this well and I mean one moment that reminded me of Wes Anderson we saw and this was not something we saw in the first movie at all this was totally new for PS I Love You um, Laura Jean like lip syncing to some of the diagenic music um, oh yeah that was fun which I enjoyed, and in some ways that that almost feels out of a Wes Anderson movie. Um, but yeah, this like this movie, this kind of brand's insistence on um, adhering to some of those more eighties story tropes and film styles, I think, ended up feeling a little sterile in terms of the plot or not sterile but like this movie more than the first one I think ended up feeling more dedicated to its aesthetics than its story mm. for me like it it looks great um but I I wanted a little bit more in terms of attitude in terms of um I don't know. I just wanted a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. And it's hard to know. I mean, not having read this trilogy, 
Um, I don't quite know. And I think this is the tough work of a sequel in a trilogy. Is like how much can it push the plot forward. While also knowing that there are further places for it to go. So like I think that. You know, there's a hard line for how much can it feel complete. Um. I mean, yes and no. I, I There are some schools of thought, I don't know if I fully subscribe to this, but there are some schools of thought that even when a movie is a sequel, it should stand on its own. Um, I don't know if I agree with that, but I do agree. I, I do think that a... Um, I think a volume two has to exist for more reason than just being a bridge between one and three, because at that point, like, then just make one and three. Right. Like, I think that, yeah. And, and this is all to say, I think that like those middle volumes and trilogies are often given a thankless task. Um, in terms of, yeah, they have to exist for reasons other than just one and three. Um, but they can't necessarily feel like self-contained stories. To be able to both build on the first and lead to the third. Um, so I think it's it's hard to evaluate them on their own. Like, and in one case I'm thinking of here specifically is Avengers Age of Ultron. Ugh. Where I think that um, for me it became a much more interesting movie once we had Infinity War and Endgame because I understood the bridge that it was building. Uh, we'll have to talk about that at some point because I still don't find it a very interesting movie. <laughs> okay. Um, Fair enough. And not to say I think it is by far the weakest of the Avengers movies. Um, but it is something that in retrospect, having seen the full arc. Um, yeah. Again, I will absolutely say I think it's the weakest of them. Um but I can appreciate more of what it was doing. Sure. After the fact. Yeah, I guess part of my issue with this one is that because I never truly believed that our core relationship was in danger, and I don't think that the movie tried super hard to get them to address um, their issues that they were having, mm -hmm. um... I don't feel like we like I don't feel like we're in a substantially different place at the end of this movie than we were at the end of the last movie. Um, the one relationship that I do feel that way about, which I really wish the movie had been more interested in exploring, is the relationship between Lara Jean and Jen. Which yeah, that was definitely one of the more interesting scenes. Like, we find out that, the, and I, I haven't watched the first one in a while, so I don't remember how much of this gets addressed into All the Boys I've Loved Before, but we find out that Jen and Lara Jean used to be very good friends and drifted apart in the way that people do 
Um, but like, there's a lot of weight in that relationship that this movie just sort of starts to address. And that was, that ended up being the bit that I was the most interested in like seeing further developments on. So I hope that that is a substantial part of the third movie, because I think that this movie does a lot of good setting up for like further, um, like for the two of them to build their relationship more. Yeah. Um, outside, outside of their, outside of their shared connection to Peter. Yeah, because I think the first movie was pretty explicit about the fact that they used to be best friends. Okay. Uh, and that, because there's that scene in the bathroom where. Lara Jean is basically, like, after Jen has taunted her once again, she confronts her and says, hey, why are you so mean to me? Like, we used to be best friends. And Jen brings up that instance in seventh grade when Lara Jean played Kiss the Bottle and, like, didn't pass on pretending to go into Seven Minutes in Heaven with Peter um oh i do remember that yeah so like we have a little glimpse of the fact that oh you guys used to be super close um and that jen cut off this friendship um yeah because she even says like you knew i liked him and you still did that and um Yeah, so I think that we had a little bit, you know, we had those breadcrumbs kind of leading us to understand that backstory. Um, But yeah, then it was was nice in the second one. We got another scene where we learned that Jen... Um, her parents are divorcing, and so she really has been relying on Peter as a friend, um, for emotional support, um, and, you know, we also get a sense that there's the hint of what good friends they used to be, where Jen doesn't have anything in the time capsule, that they dig up, um, because Laura Jean had her item, or, like, it was they both put in, you know, they put something in together, was that it? It was, they both put in, so they had matching friendship bracelets. That was it. That they both put in, and Jen hid hers because she didn't want to say, after Laura Jean pulled hers out of the time capsule, Jen didn't want to reveal that she put the same thing in that Um, was it yeah i just i really enjoyed seeing them kind of hash out their relationship independently to how they both relate to peter yes um also because i think and i don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or what i think lara jean's concerns about peter's relationship with with Jen are totally reasonable. Like 
Peter and Jen dated for a long time and they broke up like 10 minutes ago. And if I had been 16 and not sure about my relationship and had seen my boyfriend um, hugging his ex, that would have upset me. Like I, I was not, I did not think that Lara Jean was being ridiculous in being concerned about that. Um, but I enjoyed watching her and Jen kind of deal with it and talk about like where they used to be um, when they were friends. And like I said, I just, I hope that that continues to develop whether or not they end up as besties by the end of the trilogy. I don't need to enjoy watching them kind of work this out. Yeah. And I, um, overall, I agree. I think that Largene is definitely not, unreasonable and being wary and being upset about Jen and Peter's ongoing um, relationship and especially there's a really sad moment where Lara Jean in trying to compromise decides to go to one of Peter's games um, and gets all dressed up um, and then her current best friend slash Jen's cousin, Chris, who, which we should talk about the Chris subplot because I think it's great. Um, Chris comes up and shows her a picture of Peter and Jen hugging. Um, and yeah, I totally sympathize with Jean in that moment. That would have been really upsetting had I been in her shoes. So I, I am glad that the movie never lets Peter and Jen off the hook in terms of, you know, portraying Laura Jean as this, you know, crazy, jealous, off base. Um, I thought it kind of did. Oh, I, I didn't thought get that, that they're kind of, When they're in the tree, when um, Jen and Laura Jean are in the treehouse and Jen is like, he's the only one that understands me. I, I thought that the movie was kind of, was kind of out to make both me and Lara Jean feel bad about potentially overreacting. Oh, I And I, I didn't think that she was. <clears throat> I didn't see it that way. I saw it more as like that was a moment where she was getting an explanation. Okay. I, I, I don't fair. I don't think the movie was ever you know I mean, I think it. I think that they had that conversation between Lara Jean and Jen, in terms of you know, kind of the arc of the story of what their friendship had been and the source of that animosity, um, and lingering tension. But I, I don't think, I think that was a moment where they were saying, "Oh, this is why." This moment that concerned you was happening. I didn't pick up on. And you shouldn't have been concerned about it. I picked up on. Oh yeah. This is an explanation for why. This happened. Um, okay. Yeah. Shall we talk about Chris? Oh, yes. Let's talk about Chris. <laughs> okay. Can I tell Chris you. Chris and Trevor. Okay. I 
did not remember his name, mostly just because I thought about the boy from Glee. Um, Mike Chang. He's, is he a boy? He's not Mike Chen. No, but he just, it, he, he reminded okay. me of Mike Chen. And I was like, oh, this is great. Okay. I was like, I'm pretty sure that Mike Chen's really busy being in Crazy Rich Asians too right now. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. But, but... I just watched Shazam, where Trevor, the actor who plays Trevor, whose name is... This is very good podcasting. (laughs) The actor's name is Ross Butler, and he plays the... Quick spoiler alert for Shazam. If you haven't seen it yet, skip ahead 20 seconds. Um, but he plays the Shazammed out version of one of the foster kids in the group home that Billy Batson goes to stay at. So I last saw him it all buffed up and in a superhero costume, which I think is great. <laughs> that is great. Oh, I love that movie. I love that scene. Um, and maybe also that's... His, his IMDb... His IMDb photo, just really quick, is him in his Shazam costume holding a puppy. Ugh. Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, and maybe that's why he reminded me of Harry Shum Jr., just because I was like, yes, you are studly and ruling this screen, and I'm here for it. I would watch an entire spinoff movie about the two of them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we don't get a whole lot of their burgeoning relationship in this movie, but we got enough for me to be fully on board um, and hoping that they are a full-on deal in the next movie. Yeah, I would like way more scenes of them sneaking around in shop class. Please and thank you. Yes, it was adorable. (laughs) And also, like, a little more subtle than I would have expected from this movie. Like, we don't really get resolution on that. Like, it's just sort of happening in the background, which makes sense to me because the movie is predominantly from Lara Jean's point of view. So it is kind of brilliant to just have that, like, on the periphery of her attention, Hmm. And then in the next movie, they're probably super dating. And she's like, wait, what happened? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she probably has not noticed. No. It was great. The two of them are adorable and also hilarious. And I want a lot more of Chris. And Trevor, but mostly Chris. Yeah. Chris is pretty great. So we we get a revisit of the hot tub video yeah. uh, in this movie in a couple of couple of kind of one off moments and then the confrontation that Lara Jean and Peter have about it. I continue to not believe that it is realistic that that incident would have vanished out of their high school like lexicon as fast as it did yeah, I, I don't I think, tend think there's to think any of, way no i tend to think of social media faux pas like that as sticking around for way longer 
that anyone is comfortable with. They cause like that kind of stuff causes real damage. And I don't know how I feel about this movie just being like, and now we get to joke about it with her cousin. Like that sucked. And I, yeah, that was one joke that didn't look for me. Yeah, I feel like that's not something you joke about until, like, maybe your 10-year high school reunion. Yeah, I kind of wish that if the if this movie hadn't wanted to... Like, if we hadn't wanted to deal with a more realistic fallout from that movie, from that, like, video bit, they shouldn't have done it. Or, like, they shouldn't have brought it up in this movie at all. Yeah. Um, but that may just be my, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'll agree with that. And I particularly, like, as I mentioned earlier, don't like that it kind of recast Peter's motivations during that scene. Um, and I do... I do kind of believe that that would have been true for him, though. Like, I do kind of believe that he maybe thought he was going down there for one thing and then was like, oh, but this thing is much better. Um, Because he is also, like, he is wonderful and lovely, but he is also 17. Mm. Um, And 17-year-olds do dumb stuff. Yeah. That is true. And I don't know if he's as I don't know if he's as interesting if he's just like pitch perfect and thoughtful all of the time. Well, I think it was just more in the original film that was I don't think it was that he was being you know perfect all the time, but I think that that was that scene was so emblematic of him really being ready to move on from Jen and being into Lara Jean. Um, and the, the, the fact that it turns out his actual motivations were a little more muddied. Um, not that I don't think it's realistic. It just... It's just is not as satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I think could have been really cool, but I'm trying to decide if I just don't think this was that kind of movie or if it could have been, and it just didn't go far enough. Um, the, the movie kind of skirts around dismantling this very romantic notion that Lara Jean has about her life. And if, if the movie had been sort of more willing to confront the fact that people are messy and that sometimes Peter is messy and like as long as they not as long as they but if they can like talk through it then it's okay I don't I don't know if the movie is quite going there yeah um, and okay so now we can I mean I think we not that we haven't been there before but like explicitly thinking about like what we would change in this movie and going into our rom-com rehab segment rom-com rehab rom-com rehab i think 
I think it would have been way better if the movie had grounded itself more in that idea of here is this person who kind of sees romance as it is in romance novels and what happens when you actually, you know, have to confront reality. Um, And I think that, especially since the first film had those really lovely sequences of Jean pretending to be in a romance novel. Um, yeah, I think it would have been, you know, continuing that motif and showing, oh, hey, yeah. Like you said, sometimes things are not going to be easy and sometimes we have to communicate through difficult conversations and and I do think because as I'm as I'm thinking about it, I should have taken notes. Um, but she does have at least one scene where she's like talking about this relationship in terms of it being a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know that we ever quite resolve the the fact that this is not a fairy tale; it's real life. Um, Especially one of one of the moments that I love that kind of nods to that is at the very beginning when she and her sister are in New Year with her mother's family and her sister describes the plot of the first movie to her cousin. And as she's saying it, it's like, that sounds wild if we are pretending that these <laughs> movies take place, like even in the world of this movie, like kitty describing the plot of the first movie is like ridiculous and the movie gets so close to acknowledging that but then it doesn't and i think it's because it's afraid of like breaking the spell yeah but i i also i also think that if it would commit to that as being the motif of the movies like a lara jean having to um deal with the fact that her life is not a fairy tale but that that's okay like that would be a really strong thesis for these movies i'm just not sure that that is what it's trying to do yeah i agree with you and i think even the plot with her dad and the neighbor um you know in some ways is reaching at that in terms of you know, like, he's been a widower for a long time. Um, and Kitty is trying, Kitty is trying so hard to turn their lives into real life rom-coms. Yes. Yes. And Kitty is like, here's the first opportunity since mom died. Like, we're gonna make this happen. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, and just acknowledging that, like, yeah, these things get messy and, you know, and I, I really loved that sweet moment where they, he was reminiscing on one of his early memories with their mother. Um, yeah, and I think, like, 
That was that. But, like, also their new neighbor, who you may be crushing on, is also there. And I think that was kind of just a nice moment of, like, yeah, breaking that trope. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it would have been better if the, the movie had just committed to that. Anything else explicitly that we would have changed? I feel like for this one, I have less things that I would have changed and more things that I'm just like, I wish this had been more satisfying. But right. since I am not a script writer, I don't know like what that would look like. <laughs> oh, um, one other small thing I would change is I think at least you need a reference to what's where Josh is. Like, Josh is just not there. And I assume he's in college. Oh, the, yeah, I completely forgot that Josh existed. Right? Like, where did Josh go? Bye, Josh. Well, you know, this movie also just straight recast John Ambrose. So I don't know that that is a point of continuity that it particularly cares about. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) But no, that is a very good point. I feel, actually, so I feel like Josh could have provided, like, a scene with Josh where he and Lara Jean are talking. I, I feel like he could have been a grounding point for her. Like, a conversation between the two of them to sort of put things into perspective for her. Sure. Could have been really helpful. Or yeah. more of her sister. Also missed her sister. Yeah, more Margo. Um, but yeah, having yeah. Regine reach out to someone for advice, I think, could have been really good. Ooh, you know, actually, I really would have enjoyed a scene between Margot and her sister, or between a scene between Lara Jean and um, her sister, where she asks for advice about um, the sex question. Oh, yeah. I think that could have been... I think that could have been really... Not that I, Not that I needed or even wanted them to sleep together in the movie, just that... I felt like that's a big question between high school in high school relationships. And if they were going to bring it up at all, I would have liked to have seen it more fully addressed. Yeah. And I, and I think that, yeah, yeah, having more scenes of large Yeah. And and I think, too, especially considering that some of the most charming scenes in the first movie was the sister bonding, I think it would have totally been in character for her to talk to Margot about that. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that was some scenes we were missing. I'm just going to pretend that yeah. that happened in the background. Okay. <laughs> um... Yeah, I will absolutely watch the third one whenever it comes out. We will probably talk about it on this very podcast. I hope. Um, 
Mostly because I hope it comes out soon. But yeah. <laughs> Probably in like a year. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm assuming. Um, any more thoughts about P.S. I Still Love You? No, I think we... I think we went through I think all. we did it. If anything, I'm afraid that well, I left yeah. too negative an impression. When I, re- I really did enjoy a lot of this movie. I just... There were... Things I think could have... Like you said, given it more of a thesis. Yeah. Um, but if people enjoyed this movie, or didn't and wanted more, uh, where would you recommend they go to satisfy that itch? Yeah, so, you know, thinking about the themes of, like, imagination versus reality in romance, actually, one thing that I thought, one movie I thought a lot about while watching this movie is actually the 1989 classic Say Anything, uh, which I weirdly have not yet recommended on this podcast, but I'm going to now. Um, and it is a movie that often just gets remembered for the moment where John Cusack holds a boombox. Um, playing In your eyes. <laughs> um, so it often just gets reduced to that one moment, um, but it's actually a very charming movie about... John Cusack's character developing a relationship with the class valedictorian and seeming girl on a pedestal, um, and him finding out, you know, she's obviously not a perfect person, and her finding out that some things in her life that she thought were perfect or not and so it, it it like a lot of the movie which again gets overshadowed by the you know reasonably iconic moment um is about transition and is about grappling with reality um and is about you know relationships as you're maturing um into becoming a young adult um, yeah, so I will, I will say, yes, Cameron Crowe's 1989 classic, Say Anything. Uh, so for my recommendation, I was looking for, I, I kind of wanted to recommend another Love Triangle book because I didn't feel like this movie really played out that aspect successfully, but it turns out there are not a lot of Love Triangle books that I enjoy out in the world. <laughs> Um, so this may just not be a, a trope that I that is enjoyable for me. Um, so instead, I'm going to recommend the book Saint Anything, Saint Anywhere. Sorry. Um, nope, right the first time. Saint Anything by Sarah Dessen. Oh yeah. I think that Sarah Dessen and Jenny Han, the author of the To All the Boys I Loved Before books, I think their tones are very similar. Um, they both write very romantic, um, a little funny. Uh, their heroines are a little bit awkward. Very, I find them very relatable. Um, and she also, her books are very comfort foodie. They typically have happy endings. 
um, they they have that that happily ever after that is so key to a romance story. Um, and in particular, I like Saint Anything because it is also a summer vacation book. It is a beach town book, and it features a pizza parlor. And I am a sucker for stories that involve food. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna recommend Saint Anything by Sarah Dessen. <laughs> When we rejoin you all in two weeks from today, we are going to be talking about the, um, I don't know if it's a Netflix original, so I'm not going to say that, but we are going to be talking about the 2016 um, movie available on Netflix, Emo the Musical. Uh <laughs> Listener, this movie will either be very good or very bad. <laughs> and we are just going to have to watch it for ourselves um, and report back to you. In the meantime, while you're waiting for our next episode, you can check out our sister show that releases on the same feed on alternating Wednesdays. Did you do your homework? Where myself, Marn's husband Pete, and a rotating cast of guests uh, pick apart different aspects of pop culture. You can follow us on social media at DYDYH Podcast, uh, and you can download that and this show anywhere that you find uh, your podcasts, whatever your podcatcher of choice is. You can find me on the internet at all the places at Magical Martha, including a newsletter that publishes. Whenever I like it, I just put out a new issue today all about the books that I read in January. Uh, you can find that at tinyletter.com backslash MagicalMartha. Marn, where can people find you? Um, so people can find me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet quite a bit about romance novels and rom-coms. Um, and often also tweet about maps and the state of Minnesota. Um, unless I am forgetting anything egregious, which I'm sure our intrepid editor uh, and producer Pete will catch and correct in post. I believe that is going to do it for us. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. And just remember that we love ya. I apologize in advance if Emo the Musical is terrible. Well, we will find <laughs> out. It is 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it might be the right kind of terrible. <laughs>